BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I've bitten a penny. I will buy the stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Morning, everybody. Hope you all had a better weekend than the people over at Archigo's Capital Management. Welcome to Pre-Market Prep. Spencer Israel, Joel Conan, Dennis Dick with you this morning. That's our lead story of the day. We we saw all those block trades on Friday. We're like, well, something's going on. We have a little more information now about all that forced selling in stocks like Viacom and Discovery and GSX and IQ. We'll talk about that, talk about the implications from the financials this morning and the overall market. That is our top story of the day. Uh, a couple of guests on the show today. First up, it is Monday. That means Tim Kloss will join the show at 8.35. Also, a new guest. We stopped by today, Matt Hammond from IPO Warriors at 9. He's going to preview the IPO slate for the week. Today's show is also sponsored by Market Structure Edge. It is the first decision support platform for traders built on market structure. Try the new way to trade at marketstructureedge.com. The link is up on the bottom of the screen. Let's throw it to Joel now. Actually, no, before I throw it to Joel, everyone smash that like button now so I don't bug you about it later. Thank you. Now, Joel, how are we doing this morning? Ah, we got rocked. Uh, we'll talk about that last 15 minutes of trading with Triple D when he comes on. But what a rally. The last 15 minutes of the day. Uh, new all-time closing high at 64.75. The old closing high was 63.50. That was a big level for the Sunday night traders. Opened right at that area. Swooned down to 28.75. And now just getting a little bounce, a little back over mid-range. So uh, we got some resistance up there, folks. Uh, crude, 
Now, as last I checked, that uh, that ship was still stuck in the Suez Canal. No one taking my recommendations on how to get it out of there. Up 54 cents at 61.51. Uh, gold muddling in the 17 handle, uh, down 8.15, at 17.26.20. Silver, we're under 25 bucks, down 26.4 cents at 24.85. And Someone's buying Bitcoin, having a good day, up 8.35%, 58,575. The, ship, the ship's floating now, though. It the is ship, floating ship, now? Yeah, they've got the ship floating here overnight. That's a big cause. If you look, we were down significantly overnight. Let's bring up that S&P chart here because the ship is unstuck right now. They haven't totally got it out of there yet, but they've got it floating. So there's hope that they are going to get it out of here. And you can see a big pop overnight. Um, if you look at the S&P futures, and that was, I believe, I was sleeping at the time, but I'm just speculating. That was probably about the time the news came out that the ship is unstuck. So there is good news here. That chart there is a tough chart. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, <laughs> we're we're going to try to get some good charts here for you folks. So well, okay, jo- Joel's charts are being non-cooperative today. I think. Uh-oh. So we're not going to have any good charts. Anyways, if I could show you over the overnight action. I mean, there. I could I could show you uh, the S&Ps. I, I do have the futures. Uh, do you want me to do the quick screen share on that one, Spencer? Yeah, yeah. Show us. Yeah, the- show us yeah go back. This is a little bit of a tough chart here. Well, yeah, yeah, I uh, I don't know what's going on with my trade station. I even consulted with Gary this morning, so maybe I we don't can know. zoom in. If we could yep, zoom in on. on that chart, it wouldn't be as bad. All right, screen sharing. I'm going to share my screen. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, boom, so boom, boom. here's the 15 minute. This is where we hit the low. It was about 1:30. Uh, Eastern Standard Time, and then like, oh, the ship's out, and then they boom, 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 they moved it up. Spent a little time over thirty nine fifty, yeah. but this is the time uh, that it uh, it got off the mat. So the highest you've it's been floating. So there's good floating. news. It looks like we're going to get the Suez Canal situation fixed. And if we didn't have the Goldman Morgan news here this morning, maybe the markets actually would be up on this. One thing to consider just before we go into the Goldman Morgan story is the S&P has had an absolutely ridiculous rally in the last yeah. of Friday. There was some buy imbalances and they were just buying the hell. And you saw the S&P's rally from, you can look at right SPY. Here. With about at three o'clock, we were trading uh, around 392 on SPY and we closed at 396. So we got 40 handles in the last hour and obviously we know the imbalances you know come out on the floor starting at two o'clock and i don't think it, it's 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 coincidental that we started seeing buying right at two o'clock all the way up into the close so huge buy imbalances driving price i mean it was really a ridiculous close you saw stocks like microsoft msft running up two and a half dollars at the close full disclosure i still own my microsoft position um there was just it was way overdone so it was, you know, that was another great selling opportunity, in my opinion, when you get these markets. I mean, as a trader, I'm not talking investing, as a trader, you're buying dips and selling rips always. And that was just that a, was a hell rip. of a rip, a yeah. hell of a rip. And I did go short into that rally as a trader overnight, you know, short position because it was it just felt way, way overdone. I'm getting paid here this morning for that position. So, I mean, this is just the way the markets are. They were still chopping around. Were we out of the woods? S&Ps have never been in the woods. So we've talked <laughs> about the resilience, you know, where everybody's been saying, when is the pain train going to stop? The pain train never started for the SPY. Rotation has kept the SPY up the whole time. We've never seen this day where they just say, sell stocks altogether, get me out at any cost. We have not had that day. 
even on the bad days in growth, where you've seen some growth names down 10%, there's been pockets of strength. And that has been probably moving to value names, consumer staples, defensive names. This market has not had, overall, there's been no fear in the overall market, just pockets of fear in individual names that were ridiculously overvalued and probably deserved to have the correction that they did. You're talking, you know, it was a creeper rally starting at two o'clock, but yeah. uh, I just went to the, I don't know if you're still showing my chart, but I got the 10 minute here and this was the 10 minute move. I, uh, you know, the last 10 minutes yeah. of the day, 3940 up to the high at 68 and then the close. And then you could tell people were like scratching their head during the after hours and then, boom, we started at 6 p.m. And, you know, it was just steady selling right, uh, you know, right off that open. Give me back that ridiculous bar, which was is typical. This is textbook stuff, not textbooks you're going to read or buy, you know, if you go to your Amazon. Because nobody talks about the stuff that really moves markets. We talk about it on this show. But you have ridiculous. So what? it's not coincidental that that rally starts at 350. What happens at 350, Joel? What happens at 350, Spencer? Mm-hmm. Balances. balances the public dissemination so imbalances start coming out on the floor as early as two o'clock so your floor traders got an idea what those already are you can actually subscribe to the earlier feed as well too um yeah so it's a it's available as retail products um you know there's a couple obviously that we've talked about before that have that um at 350 you get the public dissemination where it hits everybody's board it hits you know interactive brokers it hits everybody that has the imbalance feed Huge buy imbalances at the close. So you have the algos coming in at 350 saying, we're going to have a strong close. They're buying stocks. Everybody getting ahead of it. And, you know, and it was real. And they did continue to run those stocks with those that close there. So, I mean, usually what happens is when you get these ridiculous moves just off of imbalances at the close, you often see a retracement of that move. The textbook is to fade that move. That's why I tweeted out Friday night. I said, this is probably an opportunity to lighten up um, or to sell. Another good selling opportunity, I said. You know, and I'm talking to the traders out there. That's an opportunity. If you're long, you got your swing trade longs and your senior stocks rep, don't go thinking, yeah, man, this is breakout city. I mean, you know, you're seeing this snapback rallies in some of your stocks, even even like a Microsoft. They'll talk against my book. I'm the only person on the whole street that does that. But I mean, you know, stock was selling off and they had a whipping rally, like it was down to 231 with five points. So probably overdone in the short term. Do I still like Microsoft long term? Yes. Do I still think Microsoft is going to be up 10 years from now? Yes. Am I selling Microsoft out of my long-term portfolio? No. No. But if I had it in my trading portfolio and I had it on for a trade that I had bought in the dip, I would probably be selling into that rally. And I was selling other stocks into that rally because it was ridiculous. And I just real quickly, that is your strategy. Correct me uh, if I'm wrong, but like you, you look at them and you try and gauge them, but you don't, you don't try and run with them. You would rather see what everybody else does and then go for the fade because the yeah. fact that they may flip on yes. you, right? Yeah. Right. You will see algos try to run with it, and then you'll see them get chopped up in the last minute when they all flip. So it used to be, if we go back, you know, I've been trading imbalances for 20 years. So I got some experience trading imbalances. If you go back 20 years ago, they didn't have the whipping, flipping, and, you know, the algorithmic <laughs> action that it did before. So you could, you know, go with that. You know, they used to come out at 340. They used to come out 20 minutes away. And then they were 345. Now they're 350. As the markets and algorithms have taken over, they keep making the imbalances later and later and later. So the human participation in it isn't as strong as it is. But um, the way, I, the, the safest way I feel to play it 
is, you know, if you don't believe the numbers of 350, which sometimes it can just like they can flip. One institution comes in, it can all change. It can pair off. I mean, there's so many different reasons why, you know, what you see at 350 might not be real. But I always throw out the LOC orders just in case. So if they want to gap up or run these stocks ridiculously in the close, then I'm, you know, maybe willing to, um, you know, sell some stock. So, um, you know, so I throw out LOC shorts, limit on close orders. Yes, the evil short seller. What the shorts do <laughs> is they provide liquidity to the overall market. Without those orders, those gaps would be much higher. It's not just me selling short. It's every professional trader selling short. It's hedge funds tra- selling short, you know, into huge buying blocks. When he's got to buy a big block, they throw out. The reason they throw out, the reason they disseminate this information it's an advertisement to people who subscribe to the platform that we need sellers. We have a huge buyer here. This price is going to go a lot higher. We need sellers to come in willing to provide liquidity so we don't impact the price as much. Those sellers are short sellers that will come in to provide liquidity. Without them, those gaps could be much stronger. But you know, you think, oh, I'd like the market higher. A lot of times they're selling balances, so the gaps down would be much weaker. What the liquidity providers do, the short sellers and the buyers uh, and the market makers, is they you know, come in and they provide that liquidity, and those moves aren't as strong as they would be for that reason. So you don't get this crazy volatility typically on the close because the traders are there to provide liquidity. Traders serve a purpose. Short selling serves a, a definitive purpose of providing liquidity in the markets and muting those extreme price actions. But even on Friday... There probably isn't enough short sellers, and that's why you're seeing so much strength there on the close. And what about, and this can happen in any stock. I can remember a few years ago, Dennis, I don't know if you remember, and you ended up writing it up or taping it. Like, there was a huge imbalance in Coke, and it was one way, and then it flipped another way, and then I'm not sure if it flipped back or not. Do you remember what I'm talking about? I don't about? remember that one, but yeah. I'm sure there's been a few of them. <laughs> well, you were like, you scrambled your, uh, somehow you, you avoided a major disaster, but uh, it it can happen in any stock. I mean, you just have to look at the stock and, you know, what the, uh, you know, what compare what it is to the, you know, to the volume, a couple hundred thousand shares in Coke as opposed to a couple hundred thousand shares in such, you know, a, a, a thinner stock. And I still don't get this. We've been talking about this for, I don't know, 10 years. I just, these guys, they need the last print. This is how they're, That's they're marked. And, yeah. and I, I just don't understand it. Like if I knew I had 200,000 to sell or 200,000 to buy, and I knew it at 240 I'm or, or, or uh, 230, Man, there'd be a lot of other ways to work out it, but that's just the market structure thing. Maybe we can talk about that with Tim when it comes on. But you talk about tipping your hand. I mean, holy cannoli. Yeah, when you're throwing those huge imbalances out there and they do impact price. Um, A lot of days they don't, but some days they do, and they did on Friday. So let's go to what everybody is talking about here this morning. What's this hedge fund story here, Spencer? Give us the details. Apparently, uh, they are the whole reason Viacom went up from 40 to 100 and now down from 100 to 40 whether i believe that or not i'm still not sure but give us the details of what everybody's saying on the street yeah i mean we first noticed this and from friday i'll bring up the benzinger pro newsfeed you saw it as early as friday morning nine o'clock in the morning you know goldman offering a 50 billion share block of, of 10 cents big share block of baidu and vip shops and throughout the day you saw shopify you saw viacom you saw discovery all block trades happened throughout the day everyone's like what is going on well Hat tip to John Jennerone, who was actually on SPACs Attack last week at IPO Edge. 
They were the first guys to actually connect the dots here and note that all of these big block trades were connected to this family office, uh, Archigo's Capital Management. And apparently these guys were leveraged up like crazy, got a margin call, and then they went from there. So uh, at the moment, there has been more than $20 billion of selling. I saw some more tweets over the weekend from David Faber that there's that it's not done yet, that these firm, these prime brokers, Goldman, Morgan, uh, but mostly Nomura and Credit Suisse are not done. They're still shopping. Uh, I saw David Faber tweeted last night. There's a two billion share block of Viacom being shopped around. Um, and so it doesn't look it doesn't appear to be done yet. Credit Suisse actually came out this morning and said uh, this is this is not good for us. This is going to impact our numbers here. We don't know how bad. We don't have anything for you yet. But this is going to this is going to be not good for us. Nomura actually came out and said it's going to be worse, like really bad, pretty bad for us. Well, so, yeah, what? How do they let them get this exposed? They, like, I mean, if you're you know the clearing broker and you're these are your customers, how do you let someone get this exposed? That it actually is impacting your quarter. I mean, Credit Suisse is down 13% here today. Yeah. Like, this is significant. If this is all true, and obviously we don't know what's rumors and what's true, you know, this is a lot of still, you know, the street talking, but a lot of people have connected the dots here. I just don't understand how you can let one customer come in and and get that levered that they're going to impact the market to this extreme in certain issues like in Viacom or Discovery or, you know, what stocks are they saying? Viacom, Discovery, some of the Chinese stocks like Baidu you were saying? Yeah, it's Viacom Discovery, it's IQ, it's Baidu, it's GSX. We actually have a list here. Um, yeah, give me the list. Ten- Holy mackerel, GSX. Tencent Music, um, FTCH, VIPS. I think those are the main ones. I got to write them all down because obviously these are all tracking together now too. So you got to you know, you got to short term pairs trade on all these. I, I, I want to. I just want to interrupt this for a second. And there, I I wish I could bring all my charts up, but you know everyone is you know belly aching about this news and how it broke on Friday. Actually, I do have the Viacom chart up here. Th- this story started unraveling on Monday. Okay, right. Right. and if anybody and can read the tea leaves. The stock closes at 10034 on Monday. They do an offering, they put the price out at 85, right? Boom. On Wednesday, the thing opens at 85. And whoever had bought, you know, a couple billion worth of shares. Yeah, did our, did this ad- our, what's the name of the company again? This hedge fund's blowing up? It's uh Archigos. So did this Archigos participate in that Viacom secondary and load up more? I don't know. I don't know. That's a good point that Joel is making, though, is 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 what triggers a margin call. It's 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 losses, right? So the Viacom had they had an event, right? They had the offering. That was an event, and the stock went down. Did that trigger the margin call? Maybe. Either I mean it either ruined their position. Or they, they, oh, I'll take a couple million of that at 85. And then they like just, yeah, they had, you had no shot on that day. You had absolutely, I don't think we've seen that in a long time, Dennis. You, you know, you talk it being a ceiling and a floor. I don't think we've ever seen it come out and boom, 
that was just the exact high that day. And it was just, it was relentless. And then it spilled over yeah. to discovery. So I don't know if they bought the offering. I mean, and you look at these stocks and how many days, how many times did you look at this Viacom going up day after day after day? Um, relentless. Relentless. Like, relentless did, bid. Yeah. Relentless bid. Then the company thinks it's a good time to sell stock. And I'm like, you know, you got to be scratching your head. Well, the companies and who knows if it was from the shareholders or, you know, from the company till. But, you know, I saw this story developing and um, I actually took a, a small short position in the wrong one. I could have went Discovery or uh, VIAC, but I looked at Fox and I figured, well, gone yet. yeah, it hadn't gone yet. So I picked the wrong one on that. It did get hit good on Friday, but they don't, they don't seem to be, uh, they don't seem to be getting the lick in that the others are, which is unfortunate. But that's the way I look at it. I, I that blaming on. I mean, you could talk about the news on Friday. The tea leaves were un, unfolding on on that offering, and that that's in my opinion. And can't can't convince me anything else we'll see we'll see what happens today in these but if there's more stock for sale just keep an eye on friday's low it makes makes sense Uh, sorry i was just gonna say this does the story does make intuitive sense so we don't know what's true and what's not true but it makes sense because when you see like we were saying last week what the hell's going on in these stocks you know like viacom what's going on in tme you know what's going on like these things are just like selling like nobody's business like relentless selling and and all those names you just mentioned so this makes sense so i don't know like what like we said we don't want to have you know all the facts here yet but the story intuitively makes sense now so i mean good reporting you know by faber and who obviously else whoever else is breaking this news um but i like i i, I just think what's the bigger issue here the bigger issue is how the hell are these this levered how do you let it, you know, if, if that, that's moving the market this much? I mean, that it's impacting. Like Credit Suisse, we'll look at Goldman and Morgan here this morning, which have a smaller piece of the action apparently, but Goldman's down eight bucks. Morgan Stanley's trading down four and a half percent here this These morning. These guys are supposed to be the smartest significant guys moves. We've, we've got to have risk management from the, from the brokerage side of it. You know, like there's obviously, you know, there's a customer that's got that needs to have risk management. You as traders can learn a lot from something like this. Don't all be in, you know, don't be levered up in just a couple of names because you can really get hurt. But we've got to look at, you know, the risk management from the broker side of it and the clearing broker side of it. I mean, you can't let people get this levered up. Uh, Nomura came out and said that they're owed, I mean, the, the losses from this client, uh, this family office is, is going to, for them, it could be $2 billion is, is, is what is what they're owed. And that's fine if the client's got $10 billion with them. But, you know, if the client's got $100 million and they're losing $2 billion, that's a serious problem. Yeah. So I don't know how big, you know, I'd never even heard of this fund before. Have you heard of this fund before no, last week? It's a family office. No one's heard of them, right? <laughs> so how do you have $2 billion worth of exposure if you're that small? Well, then Where, where's the risk management from the broker side? I, I don't think they're like that small. I think I read they manage around $10 billion. Uh, but okay, well, if they manage $10 billion and they lose $2 billion, then they shouldn't have to liquidate everything. That's only losing 20% of your portfolio. When you're in full liquidation and margin calls, it means you don't have enough money. So that's telling me that they have a lot more exposure than obviously they had capital or you wouldn't be getting those significant margin calls. You get margin calls when you're out of money. 
So if you're managing ten billion, you're only losing two billion. You're not out of money. You can stay if you you won't get any margin calls. Just you traders, you can learn so much from this. But you got a hundred thousand dollars account and you lose twenty grand, you're not getting a margin call. There's no margin call on that. You got a hundred thousand dollar account, you lose a hundred thousand dollars, and you still got positions on. That's when you're going to get a margin call. So losing twenty percent of your account is one thing. Losing a hundred percent and getting margin calls, I mean. That's another. And you're getting this much exposure. The Credit Suisse and Amira are saying they're going to lose $2 billion from this. That means they didn't have enough capital for the positions that they were holding. And if I was a regulator, I'd be looking at what the hell is going on. I'll tell you one thing. I wouldn't have wanted to be at that family dinner on Sunday at that family office. I mean, they, they must have been having uh, pork chops and applesauce or something. I, I mean, look, we wanted, we've been wondering all year, like, what the hell? Why is Viacom and Discovery doing this? It makes zero sense. Well, oh, up, 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 up. Right. Well, there's a big buyer. It turns out there's a guy who's leveraged up like crazy buying this thing. One person drove it out. One little family office drove Viacom. We don't know. This is oh, we, yeah, we, yeah, I, yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but that's yeah. what the market is basically saying, that some you know family office of, you know, I don't know how many people drove Viacom from 40 to 100, and then they had to liquidate, and they drove around, and it just you know fell all the way back down. Everything, like, it's, it's, it's just mind-boggling to me that there's not better risk controls here from, one, from the individual customer, but more so from the from the brokerage side of it. I mean, also look at Viacom, just dead money for so many years. I mean, periods of consolidation, right? I mean, we had that funky arm going on a while ago. And then you just look, I mean, you look at these monthly bars and you just, okay, so you had a breakout there. I, I, I just, I don't know. Maybe, Dennis, maybe we take our profits too early on stuff like this and, you know, these big runners, but... Holy moly. I mean, to get caught up in something. I mean, it like 85, when they did that offering, 80, like, wah, wah, there should have been like alarms going off that day in that position in that family office. You know, I don't know if they were on a family vacation or what the hell they were doing. Or they but, were just too big. And yeah. there was just no way to get that much stock done. I mean, they, but like it gets so big and the liquidity is not there. I mean, I don't know how much Viacom they own, but it's going to be a fun story to unravel and find the details, just how large this individual position was. Well, let's not forget that Credit Suisse's CEO has been at the post for less than a year, right? They got a new CEO last year. And one of his first things, one of one of his first uh, uh, changes was he they, they, they combined their investment banking arm with uh, their capital markets arm. And they and I think they're tr- I think they're actually been trying to to get away from the investment banking business and do more money management, but it's not working out for them this morning. <laughs> Down twelve percent CS, yeah. so it's getting hit. And you know what? Deservedly so if this is their risk management policy. So um, if it comes out and they have the one client that this is, they're going to have significant losses just because you know one customer. I mean, yeah. risk management needs to be reevaluated at all of these. Spencer, I am getting, uh, it's weird. I'm getting uh, uh, charts up, but I'm not getting some stuff in my quote window. So That's okay. The I, charts are good. Okay. The so charts look good. I, yeah. So I, I'll just, uh, I'll ride with these charts. And then if I see something that comes up, data not available, then you'll know to yank the reins from me. Uh, Credit Suisse, just hanging out. Boom. Head support, 1270. Boom. That's gone. Hanging out, 1123. It is, you know, traded overseas. 
I don't know. I, I, I'm hesitant to give any levels on this. Doesn't look like there's major support until 10, but who knows what's going to happen with this. And then we need more details. You're yeah. right. Who knows? Like all of these, you, you need more details. Is the exposure gone? You know, do we know what the losses are going to be? Have they liquidated the entire position? Is there still more to go? It sounds like there is still more to go. I mean, could it get uglier then because there's more to go? You know, Viacom's down three more dollars here this morning again, or two and a half bucks here. Right. So, so many unknowns. But if you're trading any of these stocks on this list, well, you got to be aware that there may still be a fourth seller in there, and that's scary. And when the fourth seller is done, we know from, you know, Joel, what happens when the seller is done? Now think back to all your years. You, have a, rip and, you yep. have a rip and rally when the seller gets done. So you think about, you know, when you had, you know, back, you know, going back and, you know, we, we could actually do tape reading. You'd have some seller in the market, oh, that's so driving fun. it down, driving it down, driving it down. The seller used to mop up print, and then the thing just rallies the hell it. out of it. So, you, you know, it. I would say if this is all for selling, when that seller is done and nobody's going to know when the seller is done, maybe the brokerage house is going to know when it's done. That's a pretty good edge. That's, that's, why, <laughs> that's, that's a pretty good edge in itself. A little tip off. Ah, we're done. <laughs> like, oh, you, no. You're going to see a rally in these stocks, something fierce. So be careful just blindly shorting them too, saying, oh, this is for a seller. It's got to go down because nobody knows when that order is going to be done. That used to be, that was the fun. And you knew when it was coming down, you see a step down seller, you know, like when I used to trade a lot of Goldman when it was a hundred, $150 stock. I mean, someone came in with a hundred K, you know, on the offer, you knew, well, you didn't know, but it was going down. Yeah. And then they, they lock it down with like another, you know, they take out a couple points, they lock it down with another 50 boom lock it down with another 25 and then you're like hmm and then back in the day you used to be able to, you know if you sent marketable limits or even a market order because they're just looking for stock at that point now you see the print it's gone i mean it's like oh that that was the mop-up print oh I, yeah you don't see yeah, it anymore, yeah no. i know which is trickier markets to figure that out yeah from reading Yep, very, very so, tricky. So again, just to recap that list, uh, obviously... Uh, I'm writing them down. Give it credit, to us again. Credit Suisse, credit Suisse and Nomura at the core of this, but as far as the, the stocks that, that uh, Archegos is, I guess, forced to, has been forced to sell, yeah. uh, it's Baidu, mm -hmm. it's Viacom, mm -hmm. it's Discovery, mm -hmm. it's GSX, which is a fun chart to look at, uh, Tencent Music, it's VIPS, which is not one I'm familiar with. Vips. Uh, yep. IQ and Farfetch, which is FTCH. Those are you got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Who got this list? Where who is breaking? I mean, this list? these are these are stocks that had big big block trades. Uh, Just for sale. grabbing them from the from the block trades for sale. Off, uh, you know. And this um, were in the pro too. You know, this these are the these, these are all in the pro, but it's not just like look. As I said Friday, there are degrees of block trades, right? There are like there are block trades, and then there are like big effing block trades, right? Like block trades yeah. that are so big that they 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 don't have they happen outside the market, right? That, yeah. That one broker calls another and say, hey. I got 50 million shares. What can you do for me? You know what I mean? Like, and that's what these were. These were not trades happening in the market. They were happening like over the phone or over a Bloomberg, right? It's like there, there are degrees of, of size and these were big effing block trades. Yeah. We're looking IQ. Look at the pro from March 26 at two o'clock and it's showing IQ block trade of 32.7 million shares said to be offered. Yeah. And then you can look like that was just on IQ. And then you obviously there. Viacom, you're saying the same thing. I'm just looking at the pro as well. Yeah. yeah. From Friday. 
like Tencent was talking about them, but you know, there's just you know, like you said, there's obviously it was a lot going on from the block trade side of it. Yeah, so it, it all it all seems to fit together. And just go into a newsfeed and search for the word "block," and you can just find. It. You, you see, we saw it Friday morning as as early as nine with Tencent, Baidu, and and Vip shops, and then it then it was Discovery, then it was Shopify, then it was Viacom, and it was Farfetch throughout the day. It was more and more and more. And you got Faber saying it's not done yet over the weekend. So who knows when this can end? I guess wow. Credit Suisse and Amir are going to know. But it uh, is a fast. And- Coin Collector is a fa- fascinating story. And again, you know, we've talked about it, but risk management has to be reevaluated at the brokerage side of this and obviously the client side of it as well. I mean, but you always have crazy clients. It's the job of the brokers to keep that in check. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was kind of your story of the day on Friday, right? Uh, and it, it didn't take a genius to figure it out. Like, oh, what the, what, so many block trades, what is going on? And there's block trades every day. That's not, that's not all over the place. Yeah, because just really big ones being offered all, and word yeah. gets around, right? Like, if, you know, one broker calls another, and the next thing you know, the whole damn street knows, right? So, yeah. oh, for sure. Yeah, word travels fast when you're trying to sell 50 million shares <laughs> at one time. Wow. So, uh, yeah, okay. Okay, so let's talk other, you know, we've obviously got a light earnings week. We're starting to, you know, next week we're going to start to get some earnings here, but we're right towards the tail end of the quarter here. Um, You know, we do have in consideration we're going to get the end of the quarter in a couple of days. I mean, the market has been overall resilient. The SPY at least holding up here. What are your thoughts, Joel? I mean, I'm torn. You know, the SPY has been very resilient. Obviously, me and you have held all of our SPY long term, and, you know, we still believe in the markets overall. It's just, um, do you think this, you know, trade from value or from growth to value continues here? It started breaking a little bit last week, but then on Friday, we started seeing value names just getting bought hand over fist again and growth again, not participating. I mean, Tesla did not participate. You know, it, 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 you know, you've seen these big rallies in the SPY, but Tesla is sitting right down here you know, near the lows of last week. It really didn't get off the mat. Yeah, we rallied from 599. Yeah, we got a little bit of a rally late in the day. But again, it's very selective. You're not seeing an overall, and you think, oh, wow, SPY's up huge. My stock's going to be up awesome. Well, if you're nope. growth, you probably didn't participate much. So you're still seeing a clear preference to value a Continuation, yeah. I mean, For look the last long... three months. Yeah, and but look, but how long was the trend the opposite before? 10 years okay a decade decade. exactly so i don't know five years six years seven years i don't know i don't know but as far as just uh i mean rotations don't go one way for 10 years finally reverse for three months and then flip back the other way i mean if it does then there's going to be a violent rotation here but this time on the growth stocks it's a whole different story because people are stuck it's yeah. not the same kind of run. Instead of people saying, hey, oh, I'm counting all the money here, it's going to be like, where the hell do I get out of this thing? Can I get out of this thing? Should I buy more? Should I double down and then try and get out at a lower price? And then you did the snowball just keeps going. I mean, we've been talking, I've been talking this- about Tesla, talking against my position, and that thing, that just is, it's just losing levels. It's not, it's just not going up. I mean, maybe, 
you know, maybe you don't have to be, you know, trying shorted or whatever, but you have to recognize that it's not going up. And now 700, we talked about that. Kathy bumped it up against 700 a few times. 40 point rally from Kathy's commentary. And it sold to you. Right back, sold to you. Market sold it to Kathy herself because she started buying more stock. So it's down there again. the, The one thing, let's bring Tim on here in a second, but the one thing, the similarities to 1999 and 2000 are strikingly similar because I'm going from my memory here, but you know, I was an active trader back then too. But do you remember Joel after the original tech bubble burst in March of 2000, you actually saw this same rotation where people were like, get me out of the high P stuff. And you started to see, um, you know, where, you know, you actually had some lower P stuff start to rally. You know, and you started to see these names. And this this actually continued. So you had the tech bubble burst where the NASDAQ fell 81% over the course of the next year. But you actually, you know, you had the S&Ps down. But you actually had a rotation into value names for the next six years where yeah. you had growth underperformed value for a long period of time. I just wonder if we're not entering the same period, especially with Reddit, you know, the deep value investor, Roaring Kitty, you know, and everybody's looking at value there now that we haven't entered this new market. It's possible. I mean, everybody's saying, is this value's time? Is this just a blip, you know, in the radar and growth is going to be just striking, just ripping up again? Or have we seen the the tech, you know, growth bubble burst, like it's already popped and now it's just the slow leak? I, I, you know, I don't know, but I think you've got to be diversified, not just in growth, but across growth value, that Kramer barbell approach, just in case. Dennis is asking the million dollar question, unfortunately. And we, nobody knows the answer to it. Nobody knows the answer. Nobody knows anything. No. But Tim might. Actually, no. Tim knows a lot of stuff. Let's bring on Tim. Right, it's, it's 8.35 or 8.37 on a Monday. Time for Market Structure Mondays. Tim Quast, good morning, sir. Good to see you guys. I was, I was hearing, well, maybe Tim knows, and I thought, I better grab a jacket. Because the, <laughs> the the pre, the pressure's on, no slopes for you today. Uh, no, I've I've uh, come down from the high country to the lowlands of Denver, uh, b- because the good sc- the good snow is is gone. So I I hung up the skis on the 29th day, 29, 29 days of skiing. And it's the and it's March you 29th. Live the dream. So <clears throat> I'm telling you, man, this guy lives the dream here. <laughs> That's a good much. Mark starts in the morning, skiing in the afternoon. All right, Tim. Indeed. What right. what was your reaction? Do you have any thoughts, any insights to add to uh, you know, fun blow ups happen from time to time, but it's not right. it's not often that <laughs> they reverberate like this. Um, what were you seeing on Friday? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I would call it the clash of titans. There, there's a piece of this puzzle that, to me, is being left out. But, uh, and you've probably been talking about it. So, but, but from folks who maybe are just uh, arriving, there's this, you know, this uh, uh, offshoot of Julian Robertson's Tiger Asset Management. There are all kinds of these funds that have formed that came out of that organization, and one of them is uh, Arcagus Capital. And apparently. Uh, realize that by the time you and I are talking about this, it's it's well over. Right? It's a, yeah, the, yeah, we're yeah. seeing the the destruction and the detritus, uh, but the blow up had already occurred, in my view. There, I think it's important to understand the timing of this. Why, why would 
Goldman Sachs begin even commenting, even suggesting that this has happened. And of course, you're seeing the damage to Nomura, uh, which, by the way, owns Instanet, one of the you know the big uh, uh, alternative trading systems. Uh, and and Credit Suisse, you're, you're, it, it filters through the prime brokers because only about ten firms it now handle over eighty five percent of customer orders. It's gonna wow. make its way back to one of these firms. Uh, but the the essential point to me is why did it occur now? And it's there are two times traders that we talk about all the time from a market structure edge. Uh, perspective that matter to you. There, there are the monthly options expirations uh, that are that are extended over a number of days, and then there is month ends, and month ends are very important for hedges. And these hedge funds tend to use uh, leveraged synthetic instruments. Uh, that's a bunch of jargon, but let me explain. If you manage a billion dollars, you may go borrow eight or nine billion more. And then try to use instruments like swaps that eliminate the need to go buy and sell things. Uh, you want to you capture the economic return that you have leveraged into without actually having to take any action. So then the parties that are doing all the trading and the hedging are the big banks. They're the ones who are trying to mitigate their exposure and be on the right side of the trade. Both parties know they're competing with each other. So those, con those hedges expire on the last trading day of each month. Well, when is that? Two days from now. That's why the, all of this discussion is occurring now. And we're likely to find out the scope of the damage, not yet, not today, but in three or four days after things settle out. So uh, th that's, that's, the, that's a clash of titans. But the other piece of the puzzle that nobody is talking about that we see all through the data is the effect of passive true-ups that also have to occur at precisely the same time. So when you get these massive moves related to a hedge fund short squeeze uh, in Disney, Viacom, CVS, things moving crazily, right about the time indexes are trying to true up their tracking and reduce their tracking errors, and then you've got these prime brokers that they depend on who are scrambling to defend themselves and not take care of the trades for their customers, you have the makings of a potential disaster. I'm not saying that a disaster will occur. I'm saying that the ingredients are there. And, and it's interesting to me. I'll show you how you, let me share some, I, you know, I love data. So I want to, I want to show you something here <clears throat> that, that was what caused us to say, this is bizarro world. We wrote that in a note on Friday, that we, we said these conditions in the market have no rational explanation because you could see it coming. And so if you're following along, go to marketstructureedge.com. You can, you can do just what I'm doing here uh, for free. Don't need a credit card. Just go to marketstructureedge.com. You will immediately have 12 portfolios and you can see exactly what I'm going to talk about here. Number one, I track a I track a 75% short portfolio. I want to know how many companies in the market are more than 75% short. That is, more than 75% of their trading volume is coming from borrowed stock. And there are only 34, but that number can be really helpful. And one of them was, is in this set, is in this Disney Viacom set. It's Cable One. It's, it's kind of really? astonishing. Yeah. And, so, so it, and no one's talked about them yet. 
But just look at this. What we look at is, is sentiment. This is the buy-sell balance. You want stuff to be above five, not below it. You want rising trends, not falling trends. And then we track short volume. So when all the sentiment trends are falling and the short volume trends are rising and stocks go up, we think this is not normal. There is something wrong. And uh, we don't know. I can tell you, though, what happened on Friday, short volume imploded. Those block trades that you were talking about, they they were people covering. So who was it? It, was it the banks? Well, probably. The, you know, they're the ones talking about the significant damage to their balance sheets now. And, and we see that. If you see all over the market, there's a 4% implosion in short volume and stocks go up. And yet all the sentiment lines are down. We know something screwy is occurring with hedges into month end. And this one's even bigger because it's quarter end to boot. And, and we've also noted the last thing, and I'll shut up here. <laughs> the last thing is we track the standard deviation between stocks comprising sectors and the ETFs that are supposed to track them. Standard deviation has exploded to levels we have never seen before. Wow. And so that's, that's good for good for market makers because they can go profit on the spreads. It is bad news for the funds because they're way askew from what they're supposed to be tracking. And there's an implication for Tesla, but go ahead. You were talking about this last <laughs> week, the tracking error in some of the yep. ETFs, you know, which is, you know, which I see too, because I do some of the ETF arbitrage as well. So, you know, yep. you do see where this actually unbelievably can get out sometimes, right. um, usually just in the short term. These are short term live moves. Um, just just go into detail, like how first, you know, did you, when did you first start noticing this stuff? And then secondly, when does it end? <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, the big questions, right? And how would you know as a trader what to do? Uh, so let me see if I can answer all three of those questions. I'll probably forget one of them That's before okay. I even get where I'm going here. I'll forget so, <clears throat> so, <laughs> so, so we first, believe it or not, we first saw standard deviation start to do weird things in the it, way back. This happened in the... In the September of 2019, when the Fed had to intervene in the overnight Fed funds rate, wham, we saw standard deviation spike. And, and they've just gotten worse and worse. They have reached these epic levels this year. It, from January to present, they have just exploded. Uh, and uh, it, what does it indicate? Well, I think it indicates the fact that people are tr- they're using cash as a substitute because nobody can move a position without prices going wonky on them. And, uh, uh, but if you try to, it keeps introducing greater uh, uh, deviation in prices. What I mean, that I don't want to get too far in the weeds, but if I have to go buy a basket of stocks, one or more of them is going to move wildly on me. And uh, that will cause me to stop doing what I'm doing. And those things create disruptions in the market. Can you see it? Well, I've got, so here I've, I've put some stuff in here. So Walt, you know, Disney and discovery are headline stocks related to this squeeze. Uh, could you have seen it? Uh, interesting thing is they've all been squeezed already. As I was saying, Dennis, this already happened. Here's where it happened. Here's the massive short volume. You know, this is where Disney is over 50% short. The weird thing to me is if you back up three months it's been like this for three months. 
The mm. trade started back here in January. It's very unusual for Walt Disney to be over 50% short. Uh, and could you have known to get out? Well, yeah, sentiment will always tell you. If it's hitting 10 and short volume goes above trend, get out. I mean, it's just telling you that those conditions aren't great. Uh, and it began to deteriorate here. But the squeeze happened, I would say, right around options expirations last week. That's where the damage was done. Once again, that makes sense. Now, the hedge is coming due at the end of the month. And it's, you will see it. You're going to see it. And if you own a stock that is in this situation, uh, you're going to see it in the data. And you'll see it because short volume will shoot up above trend. And uh, look at Cable 1. Cable 1 is just the craziest thing you've ever seen in terms of how high short volume is. Uh, so look at that. It's 75% short. Uh, what's remarkable is it hasn't gotten beat up worse than it has. But again, that's trade started back here, I would say January expirations, and it ran to March expirations, and that's where the trade fell apart. How much does that have to do with the high price of Cable One? It's an $1,800 stock, which doesn't have a lot of retail following. Right. Is there something, you know, where it's a lot of professional traders maybe trading in something like that and maybe not as much retail, and maybe that explains a could, higher short volume as well? Could be, could be. Notice that these are very liquid stocks. You know, look at Baidu, $26,000 per trade. That's, yeah. you know, that's $28,000 for, for Cable One, yes. Could well be. Look at Discovery. They, those are still all very, very liquid stocks. And that's another thing. You know, if you have a, <clears throat> a, a basket as an index investor and you want to use a sampling of an index to true up your tracking, you're much more likely to use a stock that's 10, 12, 20, $30,000 per trade than you are one that's $2,000 yeah. per trade. So it could be part of it. Yes, could be. So you're saying Wednesday <clears throat> we're going to get some fireworks, you think? I think so, one side or the other. Yeah, uh, I won't. I will not be surprised if we have some tremendous damage to the major measures, and maybe tech runs counter to that. Interestingly, interesting <clears> enough, this <throat> has been the market where tech Excuse is me. kind of doing its own thing. You're seeing right. the Dow, you know, very strong, and obviously the spy made a new all-time right. closing high. You yep. know, and then you've got tech where it's just you know, mega cap was doing okay, but the smaller growth names have not. Right. And so it's it's like the tail of two markets really right now. Exactly. And 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 so here's here's Tesla to your point. <clears throat> Pardon me. Yeah. Uh, these funny. early mornings <clears throat> are tough on me. <laughs> so uh it's okay, so it, and I get excited, you know. So look what happened to Tesla. Tesla interestingly was in the very same position. When it recovered here, did very, very well into the beginning of the year. Look how high short volume was, 60%. And it's not, and it's not had a good, you know, it needs to be back below 50%. It's getting very, very close, getting very, very close. But those levels tell us that I think this is a very pervasive condition, these bets, because looking at the, the degree to which uh, this 50% short situation exists, it's, it's striking. But that trade, what if, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but what if this is the end of that trade and now, coming out of this back into Q2, first part of April, uh, all of a sudden, all that stuff, all that tech stuff becomes very attractive to index investors, to ETFs in the basket. Uh, the short volume washes out. The, this uh, squeeze uh, ends. And, and then what will people write? What if all the tech stuff does great? 
is the reopen trade over? And it won't be that, you know, the, I think the capstone to all of this, everything we're talking about here has nothing to do with fundamentals. It has to do with market structure. It has to do with what stuff are people betting on and levered into, what stuff has to be in the basket, what stuff's attractive, what stuff isn't. That's what drives the market today. Tim, quick question for you. I know you've been around the block a few times. Uh, and it shows. And it yeah, shows. In, in the market. Oh. We, we got the gray hairs to prove it back here. <laughs> uh, but just, you know, your analysis, and I'm not sure if, how far it goes back. I mean, you know, we've had yeah. we've had some major tops in the market, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, 87, you know, for, I don't know, our youngsters. And then, you know, the tech bubble, the financial crisis. You know, we had the... The pandemic. Are you seeing anything out there in your indicators? I know they're out there on individual issues, but yeah. are you seeing anything? Are you seeing any comparisons to some of the major tops that we've had in the markets? Well, it's a it's an interesting question, Joel, because it raises the point about making sure that we have a good apples to apples comparison when we're thinking about uh, market tops and market bottoms. <clears throat> I think you have to consider today's market in the appropriate context. Those, you go back to 87, uh, the, the, the blow up of the tech bubble in 1999, 2000, those were different markets, pre-decimalization. Oh. NYC and the NASDAQ were not connected to, to, to each other. The, in, in, in 1998, there were like five ETFs. <laughs> less, yeah. less, there were, less than 10% of assets were in, in index funds. So step forward to today <clears throat> with connected markets, uh, trades occurring in hundreds of pennies, 60% uh, of trades in odd lots. This, the, the paucity of liquidity juxtaposed with this tr immense trillion dollars, tr trillion dollar complex of indexes and ETFs. And what is our comparative then? You know, what's a good comparative? There is only one, March 2020. March 2020 is our only comparison to what might happen if things have to move and can't. <clears throat> that's, that's how I think about it. And I'll show you this view. So we just back, back up a year and look at sentiment versus SPY. And here's how, you know, we think about the data. This is sentiment. This is SPY, a proxy of the S&P 500. Whenever sentiment is above six, uh, it, it will indicate that the supply is really stretched. If it's below four, those tend to be great points for entries. And the interesting thing is, look how long we have gone with really nothing. No, you can yeah. say, well, here we came very, very close. This tells us that people have not trued up their baskets to an index. And I think it does create the risk, if they do try, that we could destabilize the market. I'm not talking about a long, you know, is this, is this the, the end of some great run? I'm not, I'm not, I don't mean that, but I do think you want, we would, it behooves all of us as participants in the market to think about what is the risk to me uh, as a participant in the market? And the risk is the absence of liquidity and the presence of immense size. And you saw it in Disney and Viacom and Tencent, that's an over-the-counter stock. We don't track it. The rules don't apply. Baidu, these things can move. If one stock can move 50% in three days, so can the market. Yeah.
I mean, that's where we saw the flash crashes happen, too. I mean, you know, obviously we've had two. We go back to May 2010 and then August 2016. I can't remember the actual right. date of that one. 2015. Uh, was it 2015? I was in the years there. So March 6, 2010 was the first one where we saw literally liquidity vanish. And, you know, we saw this, oh, there was so much selling pressure. There wasn't a lot of selling pressure on that day. It was a lack of liquidity. There was simply no buyers. When stocks trade down, there's 350 issues that trade down to one penny a share because it was simply the book was completely empty. There was no, the best bid was one cent a share for Accenture. <laughs> right. Share. That was a stuff quote. <clears throat> we, so, we call I those stuff What you're books, talking about right? is an issue yeah. this market has had for a long time is that you have everybody, you know, and, and we've talked about this too, and I don't know if we want to go there because we only got about four minutes left, but, you know, the toxicity you can look at, you know, where everybody, the homogenous, you know the homogenous you know liquidity that we do have is that the liquidity right. providers are all the same they're all running the same strategies same stuff and you know if conditions right. are met just right where they're like okay well we're we have no affirmative obligations mm-hmm. we're going to pull our bits here now right. you're left with nothing so i mean you know you'd love a market that had a lot different types of participants in it but that doesn't exist anymore the majority of our liquidity is provided by the citadels and the virtues right. and a few firms providing you know, the majority of our liquidity. So it's a mm-hmm. tough problem to fix. And that, it's a, it, it certainly is. There is a way to fix it, <clears throat> but it's important to understand how we got here. How is it that uh, 54% of market volume depends on parties that don't want to own anything? <clears throat> you, you really don't want a market like that, but it's one we've got. And there's a reason for it. The SEC wanted a continuous auction market. That is, there should always be 100 shares of something to buy and 100 shares of something to sell. Well, it's not possible. It's not physically possible for that condition to exist. So they permitted high-frequency traders to effectively manufacture shares. Of course, Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs can do it too. That's the only way that there is 100 shares at the bid and offer in everything. And most trades are occurring in fractions of pennies. But those parties... could at any point say, you know, I don't like the the standard deviation in the market and I'm not going to make markets in that. And that is what happened May 6, 2010 and August 24th, 2015. And you you get those conditions, that risk always exists. Tim, I can always count on you to to make me uh, uh, question everything (laughs) about about what I know about my life, about the markets. Uh, Tim Kwok is the CEO. A market structure edge. Uh, who was it? Dre Day in chats. I can listen to this Jay. guy all day. I can listen to this guy all day. He says, uh, "Tim, as always, a pleasure. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you again next Monday. Have and, a good week, guys. And See you can you. find all Thanks this so data much, from his site, MarketStructureEdge.com. Thanks a lot, Tim. Uh, all right, it is eight fifty. Reminder: It is a short week. Markets are closed on Friday. Oh, so- good Friday. Good Friday. Lottery snuck up on us again. Oh, oh man, oh, man, oh, man. Look at What's this. the weather going to be like? We going golfing, Spencer? Uh, maybe. <laughs> I got snow on the ground. <laughs> Let's have a trip to go see Dennis. Oh, yeah, no. We can make snowmen us, up here. They won't let us in the country. They will not let us in the country. That is true. Uh, well, normally they, they don't let you in anyway. So, all right. Hopefully, uh, hopefully I'll be heading down to Indianapolis. Indianapolis. That's right. All right. Let's do a couple tickers from the chat. And then we've got oh, uh, Matt okay. Hammond at nine. Uh, drop tickers in. We didn't really do any, do any ticker time today. I apologize for that. But um, let's, we have a couple more minutes before our next guest. So just ha- if you have a ticker. Go, go, go. I, I'm going to cover the first two that I see. Let me yes, start, sir. 
the first two that I see, and whatever they're I'm back. I just want you to know I'm fully back. You see, I see SE too. James, I love trading the stock, but this is your classic, you know, higher PE growth name so it is moving with the overall market this thing has now exploded the volatility and this thing moves around 20 points 25 points a day sometimes so i mean we've seen some you know some crazy moves ugly downtrend strong close like a lot of stocks had the trend is not your friend here you need to get up over 220 before the bulls start to get some life in this one so i'm still more inclined to sell the rip on this thing until you can get that close over 220 joel's take the next one i I just, just want to say, say, pick a target on the upside that's below 290. That's what I want to say. All right, Zynga, Joel Zynga. Zynga, Dennis's favorite stop because his mom no, no. plays Candy Crush. Hang it out, 10 bucks. I mean, everyone got excited, thought I was getting taken over at a, oh, you know, when I was trading above 11. I, I say 10, yeah, 1050 resistance. And you don't want to see it take out the low from Thursday. One more. Smile Direct Club. We had the CFO on uh, Power Hour on Friday. I think it was Friday. Pretty sure it was Friday. Ten bucks. This is just a huge level for it. It yep. actually it, it bounced off at once already. I'm going to say 10 is the major support. Um, so if you want to take a shot and say, okay, I think eventually this could get off the mat, you're stopping yourself out below 10 because that is the line in the sand for me. Uh, it had a kind of a nasty streak of uh, lower highs and lower lows, and now it looks like it's reversing a little bit. So I'd say short term, you want to see it clear the high from Wednesday at 11 and change, and then maybe get a look at 12. All right. We don't talk uh, IPOs too often on this show because we only talk about SPACs. <laughs> because Dennis and Joel don't trade them too often. So we went and found someone who does trade them. Matt Hammond, a.k.a. the IPO Warrior, is going to preview the slate of IPOs happening this week. Matt, good morning, or in your case, good afternoon, I guess. Good morning, guys. Yeah, it's a little bit after uh, going towards the late afternoon out here in uh, Ukraine, but uh, from the States, been trading for a while and just can't say I'm a good day trader, nothing at the level you guys are, but I found IPOs to be a great trading opportunity. So b- before we get into the slate, maybe just outline your, your IPOs trading strategy for us. Sure. Uh, So every trade has an entry and an exit. And what I loved about IPO trades is that the entry, especially for a really hot IPO, we're talking about uh, Roblox, uh, Bumble, Snowflake, um, BigCommerce, Lemonade, all of these IPOs debuted and pretty much took off straight upward from there. So if you bought in with a limit order before the stock started trading, IPOs don't actually start trading at 9.30 the day of the IPO. They usually start at around 11 or 12 or 1. And with different apps, you can see what the indication price is. So if the IPO is priced at, say, $25, usually doesn't open until about 42 or 50 on a really hot IPO. So if you get your limit order up above that, you get the shares right as it debuts. And then when all the other retail investors jump in, uh, the stock will pop and you can take a quick scalp or in some cases ride it for a day. Sometimes there's a great two day play. People didn't realize Bumble IPO. There was a whole weekend and it was Valentine's Day. And then it opened the next Monday and shot up to 84, bought in at 76, got out at around 82. So right. There's a lot of you know quick opportunities here. Snowflake opened at 245, shot up to 320. There was a quick scalp there. <laughs> that that was yeah. the Snowflake IPO is was was. In the 1% of crazy IPOs, I think, top 1%, because that one was, that IPO'd like 50% over its IPO, or it opened 
like 50% over its IPO price, if I remember correctly. Yeah, the IPO price where Buffett and everybody else got in was at 120. And yeah. we're sitting there watching the indicator go and it went from 60, 180, 200. And you're yeah, sitting there, do I even want to play this? But there was so much hype built into it that that is the momentum play. Yeah. So especially for these home run plays, as I like to call them, there's the momentum is built in. And these things really do trade like a day trade stock, but it's all fresh. So the only thing you really can look at is RSI and VWAP. And they make such obvious moves around VWAP. They bounce off VWAP when they're hot. Uh, they fall down sometimes like Copang last week, which was, you know, had a lockup period that expired five days after the IPO, which is very abnormal. That was a pretty clear signal not to buy right on the debut. And just true to form, it fell right off a cliff and it still hasn't even recovered. Um, do, you have, do you have, um, so, okay. So what's the longest, typically, what is the longest that you will hold a trade for or have a trade on for? Uh, it really depends with Palantir, for example, which interestingly enough is kind of how I developed this whole strategy. Snowflake and Palantir were about a year away. And I realized that some of these IPOs were just skyrocketing off the open. And I started saying, okay, well, I want to build up my, my cash to buy Palantir. And when it direct listed, I said, okay, and I, I, I still am holding that one. I bought a very large position right on the debut, ended up kind of passing on the opportunity to scalp it right away. It jumped from about 10 to 1150 and then drop for about a month to nine. So sometimes I'll hold these longer if I like them. And sometimes I will, um, you know, Roblox, I'm still holding, I, I, you know, I, I cut about half my position rate on the first spike and then held the rest long. So there's no one true formula. Each one is different, but there are patterns that I'll get to in a minute here on some of the recent ones that both allow you to limit your downside while maximizing, you know, the opportunity for a run uh, that goes pretty big. So let's get to those patterns. And then after that, let's just, we'll talk briefly about what is to come this week. Sure. Let me uh, bring up my uh, screen. Cause I'm going to kind of, sh I'm going to combine the two, if that's okay. I'm going to sure. say uh, kind of what happened last week and why I like um, sure. some of the, some of the plays this week. All right. Okay. So upcoming IPOs for this week, we've got uh switch back here. Okay. So we already talked about the entry point is kind of, <clears throat> either buying the debut or maybe if you think oh, the market's kind of weak, I'll let it dip first and then get in. Uh, the key indicator is really VWAP. You're going to play around VWAP. Um, Bumble, as I mentioned, this shows kind of the two-day chart. It opened over here. It's 76. Uh, made a quick jump to 79. So you could set a stop loss right away and protect the downside. If it kept running up, like some of these hot ones do, you know, you get stopped out or you, you, you take your, your win later on. With Bumble, I said, oh, this is going to get a lot of press over the weekend. It did. You know, over here, you had all day to get out above 80. Um, Roblox, again, it opened it, I think, 64.50. Took a very brief one-minute uh, dip. I don't think anyone actually caught that. And then shot up to about 74. If you held it over the next day and you were in a, you know, Weeble, for example, you could have sold out up at like 90. Um, Copang, this is when I said, just dropped. And the reason was there was a five-day lockup period that expired, you know, five days after the IPO. That's not a good good sign to buy in. Now, that must have been buried in the filing because I didn't see that either. Uh, I didn't pick it up until uh, as one of the Bloomberg articles mentioned it the morning of. That's highly, um, highly unusual. Very unusual. And, yes, this is something that you, you'd like to know. Um, and sometimes they don't – it's not in the Seeking Alpha or – I don't know if it was in the Benzinga – 
reports on this, but it's the kind of thing that if you know this stuff, you know where to maybe you know let one pass. Another one that did this was Unity. Unity was a they did like a Dutch auction on the IPO, and anything weird like that is kind of a sign to maybe wait. And Unity did drop pretty hard the first day. It recovered by the second day and then ran up from there. But um, when you're dealing with direct listings, when you're dealing with uh, the Dutch auctions, when you're dealing with anything abnormal, it's a signal to maybe uh, maybe consider how that might play you know play out. Roblox, it, it kind of was because it was a direct listing, was a great play because it meant that the institutional buyers did not get in early, so you had a chance to get in at the same level as everybody else. Okay, so this week we're looking at the three big ones, I would say, are Coursera, Carew, and Compass. None of these scream home run to me. Uh, I don't expect there to be a ton of hype around them. And given the current market conditions, I probably won't play any of these off the debut, but we'll keep an eye on them. Um, these are slated for March 31st and April 1st. You got to be careful because sometimes on the sites that list these, they'll say, oh, the IPO date is March 30th, but that's actually the pricing date uh, and the IPO won't start trading until the next day. Again, there's no set time for these. They just debut once they've balanced the sell side and the buy side. So, I mean, big commerce, I think we were waiting around till two in the afternoon or three in the afternoon before it debuted. And you're sitting there all day long, you know, on the edge of your seat, waiting to uh, waiting yeah. to see these go live. I'll go through these a little bit quickly. There's five others, uh, one of which I think is particularly interesting given what happened last week. You got Achilles Therapeutic, Flora Growth, Intermedia, Kaltura, and Inspira. Uh, and I'll go through these all right now. I know we don't have a lot of time here. So Coursera, you've all probably heard of, or many of you have. It's an e-learning platform. It works with major universities. It offers certifications and degrees. So basically, it's a huge e-learning platform. Um, one thing I like to pay attention on these is how many shares there are, because the float will impact the price movement. Some of these that have had super low floats have seen dramatic price swings. Some of them that have huge floats just don't move as much. There's just not as much tension on the on the wire there. Uh, Coursera is not profitable. That hasn't been that big of a deal recently up until maybe the last month when people have said, hey, wait a minute, these maybe growth isn't everything. I expect that to eventually return. But when you're thinking about playing a quick snipe or scalp play, uh, you know, makes me feel a little bit tentative on these does have almost 60% year-over-year growth, has 77 million students, which when you think about that in terms of like a country, that's larger than, um, you know, a lot of countries, about 15 countries are, have more populations than that. And uh, this does have some brand recognition, which is something I always look for in an IPO. Uh, Carew, uh, which operates as cartrack.com, it's not so popular yet in America, and it's not really a consumer level product, but it does run the fleet management for a bunch of large companies. I mean, it can say Hertz is on their website, but I guess Hertz is no more. Um, but some of the other the, the Verizon, um, some of the other, I forget exactly which ones they were, but it basically operates a software platform that allows large companies to manage their automobile fleets. That means like uh, communications, analytics, accounting, video streaming, 4 million shares, but this is really an uplisting. And I stay away from uplistings because that, that means... Sorry, did you have... No, I'm good. Okay. So uplistings are when it's a stock is already traded on another exchange, in this case, the Johannesburg Stock Exchange, because this company has been public in South Africa for many years. And these uplistings mean there's already a bunch of shareholders, of retail shareholders that can then sell once they once the stock lists on the public exchange. And we saw this with um, 
what was it? Score Gaming uh, did a uplisting about three weeks ago. And when it uplisted, the stock just dropped because people are already, already holding shares and they're uplisted to the NASDAQ and then just dropped. Compass is an interesting one. Uh, it's a real estate brokerage, it's a real estate firm that provides a proprietary set of software tools for its agents. And it's grown quite fast. Real estate's been very hot this year. And if I were to play any of these, Compass might be one of the more interesting ones. They have over 20,000 agents, says that they help their agents sell homes 20% faster than other firms. And it takes 2 to 3% on the sale of each firm. It wasn't all that profitable up until 2020, um, or it's still not profitable, but it was actually losing money faster in 2020 until the pandemic hit. And now they've just taken off. So that's an interesting one. Now, last week, there were three, and I'll get to this in a second, there were three biotech IPOs that just, that all offered very high upside win potential, if, you know, at almost any play. And this is why I'm interested in Achilles Therapeutics. These biotechs, most of us don't really understand what they do. You can't just understand the science behind T-cell therapies that target clonal antigens. If you're not a, in, in biotech, you're trying to make sense of something that you don't know what the market is. Okay. Well, it cures cancer. That would be great. Um, But it does only have 9.7 million shares coming out. And last week I'll show you. Not a lot. Not a lot. Not a lot. I would say that the typical IPO will be about 30, 50 million shares. That's good. So, so anything at like 10 million or less you're looking at, that's kind of like, okay, this is interesting to me. Um, And we'll look at some of the ones from last week. Uh, This is design therapeutics open to 28. 28 dipped as low as 25 and then ripped through the afternoon as high as 50. So if you had sat back a little bit and said, okay, well, I'm going to see what this does. And it opened down at 28 and you said, okay, I want to watch this. It kind of bounced along VWAP here and it dropped a little bit. And you see it RSI came down to about 30. So when it recovered back to VWAP, you could say, okay, well, that might be an interesting entry point. If you entered there or you waited for it to climb a little higher, maybe up to here, you know, and then just rode this out. You could just have raising stop losses here, raise your stop loss here, raise your stop loss here, raise your stop loss here, keep raising it. You could have gotten up to here or here before you're, you know, it reversed into a stop, which would have been a pretty significant gain. Uh, another one, IKNA, same thing, opened up here, dropped out. The market was really weak last week, and we saw for the first time in a long time IPOs that debuted below uh, their IPO price, which means the people buying the IPO actually paid more than what retail investors who bought on the debut debut paid. So then as it drops, it comes down to here. So it sinks right away, way below RSI, comes back to RSI 30. You see it bottom out there. You can say, okay, well, maybe it's making a comeback. You either take a play here or maybe wait for it to come back to VWAP. And then you ride this whole thing up here. If you felt a little more aggressive, uh, maybe you hold here. Might've gotten stop lost out here anyway. Um, but if you were, you know, stayed in it, then you get up here. There are some opportunities to take serious wins here, but the most realistic play was probably a scalp from here to here. And one more in this uh, in this vein was WTX. If you watch this here, it again dropped RSI is way down here. You wait for it to come back up. It's 30. Maybe you're not in, maybe you're in. Quick scalp or bag hold it. But if you got it all the way up to here, if you really day traded this, maybe you take a trade from here to here, maybe you get in again over here, RSI 30, uh, pretty low, below, far below VWAP, and you ride this back up again, bounced off VWAP, come, came back up. 
So that's why last week, the therapeutics uh, biotech did have some winners. And that's what makes me want to keep an eye on this one, ACHL. Okay, moving on towards flora growth. This is a weed grower. They really don't have a lot in their uh, S1. They have no revenue history. They're only offering 3.3 million shares, which is tiny. And at four to five dollars per share, maybe you know, maybe make a play with you know a couple hundred dollars, or you know, you can buy a bunch of shares. If it goes way up, well, great, you you, you take a, a nice scalp. Um, pot stocks, I would say three or four months ago, uh, or even like two months ago, maybe this would have been a really hot one. Right now, I'm not really sure. I keep an eye on it. I probably probably sit out and see what it does out of the gate, and maybe play it off a off a dip. Um, INTM. This is a cloud communications provider, does everything, voice, video, call center file. They want to do everything for, um, you know, everything for communications. They've been around since 1993. It doesn't sound all that exciting. Um, I'm kind of just putting it on the list to, to cover it. I'm going to blow through this one. Uh, Kaltura, uh, this sounds a lot like Zoom for corporations. I think at the beginning of the, you know, COVID, this might have been an interesting play. Now I think people are going to kind of glance at it and say, hmm, 23 million shares, been around for uh, 14 years. I don't think it's going to, and I've never heard of it before. Wait, wait, so. isn't Zoom Zoom for corporations? I don't, I don't understand. Yeah, right, right. Uh, Zoom for TV channels. Um, okay. I think it's okay. a little more creative. Maybe it's a bit like API. Okay but I think it's going to get sort of lost in the noise. I don't see it getting a ton of hype. Another place I look on Twitter, I look on Google uh, trends, try to see if there's a lot of discussion of these stocks in the social media. If there are, that's a good indication that you're going to get retail interest, which drives that pop off the debut. Otherwise, you know, the debut price is rarely the all time high or rarely the all time high for even a year. Uh, a lot of times the lockup period, which is typically 180 days off, a lot of times that will sink the price and almost every, even Roblox last week dipped below the debut price, which is a direct listing. But very rarely is that you look at something like uh, C3 AI, uh, the ticker symbol AI debuted and dropped. And then the next day just ripped up to past hundred to 130 to 150 to 170 over the next kind of first two weeks. Now it's down at 70. So these stocks that rip up, if there's a big shift in the market, like we saw in the last two weeks, are very susceptible to that depression. And the lockup period is always something to keep an eye on. Palantir was flying high at like 35 in the mid 30s. And then the lockup came and it just sank. Then the market shifted and it, it's continued to slide. Still like it long, but you got to be aware of those things. And this one I included as the last one on the list is Inspira Technologies. It's a biotech uh, that makes some kind of machine that takes the blood out of a patient, infuses it with a bunch of oxygen, puts it back in the patient. And that sounds interesting. Uh, it's 2.5 million shares. So it's really small float, uh, five to $6 a share. There's a lot of things that make me say, oh, this is interesting, but it hasn't started any clinical trials. And this is one point I really want to hammer home is that this was offered on Click IPO. If you don't know what Click IPO is, is ah. a platform that allows retail investors to buy into the IPO. And other platforms like SoFi and Webull tie into the Click IPO offerings. 
So you've got a lot of retail buyers in these offerings. And more often than not, I've seen these drop really hard on the open. Simply because retail buyers like, well, I bought it for five. It's opening at eight. I'm just going to take my, you know, three bucks and dump it. So I don't really like to buy these on the debut. And I generally find these to be lower quality offerings than, uh, and, and I mean, that's almost never something that's underwritten by Goldman Sachs or Morgan Stanley or City or any of the major underwriters. So it's something that I usually will uh, shy away from. And uh, yeah, I, I get like, so I have a small Weeble account, right? And I get those notifications. Like, I swear, I see it's like once or twice or week where hey last chance to buy this ipo and i'm like guys i'm not gonna buy this ipo but well, even with the um, e-trade offerings which have become more and more available or at least i'm getting a lot more notifications they've really been misleading in the sense that they'll tell you hey you're invited to participate in this offer and i remember it was uh xm which i'm forgetting can you bring up xm as in like serious xm no the ticker xm Oh, I don't Qualtrics. I don't know that one. Yeah, Qualtrics. Uh, so Qualtrics is a, it's a customer service type of uh, SaaS, and they sent out a they sent out an invitation to participate, and everybody on eTrade was like, "Oh yeah, no, that'll pop." And it like the IPO price I think was twenty four, and it debuted at like fifty two. So it would have been a really nice win, or maybe it was thirty four, and then to fifty two. Um. But I, like I signed up for it and I clicked the confirmation. I said, "Oh yeah, give me a big share." And then they pulled it. They pulled their participation the morning of oh. uh, Bumble. The same thing. Oh. And they got invited. Uh, put, you know, liquidated a bunch of positions because like, oh yeah, for sure, I'll definitely buy this. I think it was offered at thirty six or thirty four. Yeah, thirty four. And then it debuted at like sixty. What did it debut? Something like no, it's seventy six. So there was a, you know, that was a huge windfall. But again, they pulled their participation, you know, the morning of the next day. And a lot of people. So, were so, so somebody at, at some uh, institution was like, now nah, this is too juicy. Well, here's the thing is that E-Trade is owned by Morgan Stanley and Morgan Stanley was one of the underwriters. So you're kind of thinking, well, they must have an inside thing. Oh, and then man. we got, we, we all got invited to participate in a couple last, uh, we got invited to participate in Oscar Health. That actually debuted, you know, below the IPO price and dropped. Uh, we got invited to participate in a couple others last week, all of which debuted below the IPO price. So they're kind of sending this message that says, hey, retail investors, yeah, sure, you can participate in the ones that aren't going to pop. <laughs> and the ones that are going to pop, yeah, we're going to sell those to our uh, the hedge funds and the the bankers that are, you know, yeah. our friends. Yep. All right, uh, Rotem Zero in the chat noting that Kaltura is actually a video on demand service, so it's not that similar to Zoom. Uh, guys, one in the chat, if you like Matt Hammond, you want more of IPO Warrior. <laughs> Uh, this has been fantastic. Smash the like button for Matt. This has been great, Matt. We, uh, again, as I mentioned before you came out, we don't talk a ton of IPOs because they don't have a lot of uh, trade history to go off of, but you are someone that trades this stuff actively. You have a system that works. That's the most important thing. Uh, so would love to get you back. And yeah, I'm seeing a lot of ones, a lot of ones. So thank you guys. Yeah. And, and, and just to that point that there's no history, you just make that work for you. It simplifies yeah. the trade. If you're new to day trading, you don't have to worry about when do I buy in? When do I buy in? You just have to be a little bit patient to find the hot ones, buy in on the debut and then find your exit point. 
You can find more uh, about Mad Strategy from the IPO Warrior subreddit, which is literally just r slash IPO Warrior. Um, Matt, thanks a lot, man. This has been super informative. We, I, I feel much more prepared for the IPO slate to come this week, and we'll have to sync up with you and see how, how the week treated you. Cool. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks a lot, Matt. Uh, all right, nine twenty-three here. So, guys, once again, smash that like button. That was, I thought, pretty great stuff from Matt. Again, not something we normally get on our show. So, I want to thank him. I want to thank our other guest, Tim Quast. I want to mention once again that today's show was sponsored by Market Structure Edge. It is the first decision support platform for traders built on Market Structure. To learn more, go to marketstructureedge.com. The link is up on the bottom of that screen there. Uh, for all you listening to the show, uh, either on YouTube or via podcast, please remember that all the information from our show is meant to be used as informational purposes, not for investing or trading advice. Thanks to Tim Quast. Thanks to Matt Hammond, a.k.a. the IPO Warrior. Thanks to all of you in our chat. We've got the YouTube chat. We've got the Benzinga.com chat, the Benzinga Pro chat, Facebook, uh, Twitch, Twitter, Periscope. We're, we're everywhere, guys. We're everywhere. I can't keep all the chats straight. For that, I am sorry. Um, but thanks to all of you in all of our chats say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.